historically all day, our ancestors were bathing in red and near infrared light all day long. And now we're, we're blocking it. And so we are, in my view, severely deficient in these wavelengths of light, which we know are beneficial because we're just not spending time outside. And so in, from that perspective, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense to supplement. Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Hello and welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. It's Len, and today I have a guest, and we're going to be covering the topic of red light therapy. It's something that uh, is a biohacking tool. For those of you who know biohacking and ways of improving your biology and your psychology, usually with fairly straightforward, simple um, measures. And red light therapy is becoming extremely popular, and our guest today is Scott Shaveri, and he's going to help uh, explain what red light therapy is, how it can be useful. And this is, again, this is more of a biohacking tool, something that can benefit anyone. But as we know, our listeners are parents um, wanting to help their child on the spectrum. And so this is something a parent can do for themselves, for their own self-care. And it's also something that could be beneficial for children as well. It, it, this falls into the sweet spot of something you can do that has upside and really no downside. And uh, Cass and I love those types of measures. So I'd love to welcome Scott Shaveri to the podcast. And we're going to dive right in, but let me just give a quick bio. Scott has a BA in psychology from Cornell University, and he's got an MBA in finance from Simon School of Business. He's worked for several Fortune 500 companies in the medical device, financial services, and e-commerce industries. But he's had his own health issues and challenges that he's dealt with, and he's just passionate about all things health and wellness, which is why he's a biohacker. So uh, his goal with his company, Mitre Red Light, is to uh, turn it into a preeminent health and wellness company, empowering people with tools and information to optimize their performance and maximize their health span. So that is what his company and what Red Light Therapy is all about. So I'm thrilled to introduce Scott, and I just really want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for joining, Scott. Thanks for having me, Len. Happy to be here. Fantastic. So you're you're a biohacker, right? Someone who's curious, diving in, what can be helpful, what can support just anyone's body to perform better, to just be more of what it was designed to do. So with red light therapy and the fact that this is your primary focus, can you just give a little bit about specifically what brought you to this particular way of improving your own biology and what you're excited to share with others? Sure. So, uh, well, it's a confluence of events. I would say there were probably two primary drivers that, that got me into the red light business, if you will. Uh, one was um, I had really terrible insomnia in my 20s. 
And um, and I uh, in my twenties, I was very unhealthy. Uh, uh, a lot of alcohol and caffeine. Uh, so the alcohol, caffeine, seesaw, which I think a lot of people live on. And uh, and my light hygiene or sleep hygiene was terrible. Uh, and so for the longest time. I thought that my insomnia was driven by just that I had an overactive mind. I was just one of those types of people that can't shut it off at the end of the day. Yeah, you're uh, just wired differently, right? I was wired differently. Like that's how I rationalized my inability to fall asleep and the sleepless nights. And um, and I tried, you know, alcohol, melatonin, sleepy time tea. I mean, uh, you name it, any sort of. Uh, supplement or pharmacological intervention I tried and none of them really worked or they had side effects that I didn't like. And then I just found out that uh, it was my lighting environment in the evening, looking at these bright screens, whether it was a television screen or a computer screen that was disrupting uh, my sleep. And, and I have this very narrow window. Personally, if I look at any of these screens past 930 uh, in the evening, more or less, I just I can't fall asleep. So, uh, but it was very simple, just some blue blocking glasses and just hacking my lighting environment, uh, basically at sunset, just solve the problem. And so that was one, uh, so that really started it where I started thinking about light and, and, and my lighting environment. And if there were negative impacts of certain types of light, there's always a flip side to the coin. What, uh, what should I be supplementing with on the, on the positive side that could also be helping helping my biology. And around the same time, Ben Greenfield is a well-known biohacker. I think this is maybe six, seven years ago. He had an article in Men's Health, how he was using red light, uh, you know, to try and boost his testosterone. And so at that time I had just turned 40 or I was in my early forties. And I was like, well, you know, if I can use something to help my testosterone, I, I certainly will try it. So I became a customer uh, uh, and I bought a large red light panel, started to use it. And then I noticed that I started to feel better and that I started to sleep better uh, and just function better when I was using it regularly. Uh, and so that was, it was really the confluence of those two things. My, my really decades long struggle with insomnia and just getting the red light on my radar. And, and as part of my continual education of learning how to, how to live well and maximize my health span that um, kind of made me do a deep dive on red light and ultimately start, start this business. Great. And I, yeah, it sounds, it so rings true for me, the, with sleep being a challenge, right? Because it, we think about all the health challenges that we, you know, adults can experience and especially our kids. I mean, there may be no more important one than, than sleep issues. Cause if, especially if a parent is sleep deprived, they can't make good decisions. They can't be the parent that they want to be. And especially a child, a young child, if they're not getting restorative sleep, that's a massive issue that can manifest in, in so many ways in terms of, you know, health issues, behavioral issues, et cetera. So red light does come up a lot in terms of it helps with sleep. And as you alluded to, if you wonder how it's helping, it's because there's some stressor that's coming in in the form of this blue light that affects everyone negatively, especially before sleep. Some people like you much more so. So, so in terms of how red light can be useful, if you're switching it in the evening time to a more of a red light and eliminating that white or blue light, you know, from your eyes absorbing that, then without a doubt, your sleep will improve. 
Absolutely. It's very important. So, so right there. So there are two aspects of this, you know, so my first foray into red light was really the ambient lighting in the home and just doing away. Uh, and we're, we're pretty hardcore in my house. It gets very dark when the sun uh, goes down in our house. We don't use candles because of fire risk, but we have these very, uh, these low blue light LEDs scattered throughout the house. Um, and, and they're very dim and, uh, and, and or red lights, uh, but you know this is ambient lighting. And then, and even <laughs> I've gone as far as even my refrigerator because you know there's this booby traps. So you open the refrigerator, you get hit with this bright white light. So I've put red foil over the the lights inside my refrigerator. I got um, it too. <laughs> and I've got a I've got a, a drift TV device that I put on my television, and we can and you, the brightness of the television goes way down, and uh, and we also can uh, lower the color temperature so it's very warm. So it, it's basically orange. So you don't want to watch your, uh, your you know your favorite Avengers movie and really get into it because it's all orange, you know. So it's not the, it's not it's not great for a moving watching experience, but it is great for your circadian biology. And then on top of that, I, I wear blue blocking glasses just to make sure. Um, so I, this has become more and more mainstream, but I, for me, it was such a game changer. And 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 really, I, I think it all starts with a good night's sleep. You know, when you when you wake up and you really want to go have a very productive, kick-ass day, it starts with the night before and getting a good night's sleep. And um, and certainly for me, I was sleeping very poorly, and then I was compensating with caffeine. Which then that made 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 it was a downward spiral of then needing to compensate with alcohol to try and to try and you know wind myself down and then it's just this vicious cycle uh, and then I'm not feeling great the next morning bad night's sleep more caffeine and then so you had to, I had to really unwind that vicious cycle and a big part of it was um, hacking the lighting environment. Yeah, that that's not an uncommon hamster wheel that so many people are on. Um, I think it might make sense just to dive into the why. So, so we've just talked about how this blue light, the, the light that's in most light bulbs um, and having that, you know, from a, either from a light bulb or from a computer screen or a TV, that that's a problem. Uh, let me, I'm going to just explain my understanding of why it's a problem. If you could just add to it, because I think the deeper people understand, well, why is this an issue, right? We've had light bulbs in houses forever and no one's, no one was saying anything about it, but well, it's, it's not really forever. It's really only about a hundred years. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, well, relative hundred, relative to our evolution, you know, it's it's uh, it's you know, it's just a flash, right? So, yeah. Um, so, I we want to think about it from an evolutionary perspective. From an evolutionary perspective, when it got dark, it got dark, and we were lighting a fire, and the fire was downloaded to the ground. And actually, that's actually an important point. The receptors that kind of govern this, your circadian biology are actually at the lower bottom of your eyeball, uh, which makes sense because when the sun is up in the uh, up in, in the sky and it's raining down on you, it's it's lighting up the receptors at the bottom lower of your eyeball. So the real way to hack it is a get rid of the blue light and b put the lights low to the ground, kind of where a fire would be, uh, and so you're not lighting up those receptors at the bottom of your eyeball. Uh, but yeah, so our ancestors were, when it got dark, it was dark. And if there was any light, it was coming from a fire, which is orange, which is putting out essentially red and infrared <laughs> light uh, down low on the ground. And so that's what we evolved to be exposed to and a little bit of moonlight. Right. But, but that, and, and that's at night, but it all comes down to our eyes, right? Our eyes are taking in this light. And in the morning when there's daylight, that's the signal 
to our brains, to our entire biology, okay, it's daylight, it's time to get going. Uh, And so if you're exposed in the evening time, which as you've just said, like 100 years ago, we'd have this issue. But now in the evening time, if you're exposed to this this blue light or this white light uh, that's in all those things that we just talked about, your body is believing it's daytime. It's, it's, right. it's and, and so it can't start the process to get ready for a night's sleep, the restorative sleep. It still can't start that process to even start the process to produce melatonin right? as long as it's seen as light. So you, when you would be exposed, you weren't sleeping. Now, some people might be able to go to sleep, but their sleep's going to be horrendous because they may be kind of in this lousy state of sleep, but they won't be getting the restorative sleep because their eyes have have received the signal to stay awake. What would right. what would you add to that in terms of how this works? No, that's right. I mean, the the primary driver is you know what's called dim light onset melatonin production in the pineal gland, and so what naturally happens is the sun sets. By the way, when the sun sets, that's also a signal that the sky is orange and red because it's only those longer wavelengths that are making it through. So you get it, you know, again, so this is a signal that if we want to pay attention to what nature's telling us around this time, maybe we want to switch our lighting environment to this orange and red and maybe light, quote unquote light a, a modern version of a fire by putting um, just a very soft lit red or orange LED down on the ground and using that as your lighting. Um, but so as the sun sets, it's a signal to the body that, I mean, those blue light, those, those shorter uh, blues and greens are gone. And that's, it's called dim light, uh, dim light onset melatonin production. Your pineal gland starts producing melatonin and it's signaling to your body. All right. In a couple hours, we're going to sleep, <laughs> you know? And so, and, 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 and then it, it, it melatonin increases. And then uh, most people actually feel kind of sleepy when that's happening. And then just falling asleep is just so easy. Uh, if you're incongruent with kind of the natural cycles, um, but you, but when we're hitting our eyes with this blue or green light, uh, it's confusing the body. It's thinking that it's midday. And so that dim, that melatonin production either gets halted or stunted. And, um, and for me, it's a, it's a, I have a window. If I pass a certain window, then, uh, my sleep is screwed for the entire night. Other people may not be as sensitive to it. Um, but either way, there's no question that they're going to be reducing the amount of melatonin they're producing, which you know has its own melatonin. It gets uh, pigeonholed as a sleep hormone, but it actually has a lot of like antioxidant, anti-inflammatory activity. And so, it just if you're looking to optimize your health, that's just not something you want to be doing on a regular basis. Right. So, from a practical standpoint, something parents can do immediately: take charge of the lighting environment. If you move away from the the white and the blue light work in something more like a red light or an orange light glow in the evening, without a doubt, your sleep will be better. Your child, anyone in the house, your child included, will benefit from that. And then the opposite is also true. The more in the morning that you can expose your eyes to the natural sunlight and getting out helps to start that that process in the morning. So absolutely. Uh, That's actually practical very practical things, right? That's a very important point because actually so a good day starts with a good night's sleep, but a good night's sleep starts with getting early morning bright light. So again, you want to, um, they're both important. So actually part of our routine, the first thing that me and my kids do is we go outside, typically, especially this time of year, I take them for a good 20 minute walk. Uh, and so we get a little bit of exercise too. But at a minimum, my son is outside and he's grounding, you know, for a few minutes, getting the bright light the first thing in the morning before he's allowed to turn on the TV or anything. 
Right. Um, and that's, so that's just part of our routine because that is, you know, you want to, uh, these circadian signals are important throughout the day. So early morning, midday, I think is important. And then around sunset. And then again, honoring the lighting environment post sunset. Super. Yeah. So it's so a big point. Number one, red light therapy, if used in the evening will help with quality, quality sleep, improving sleep quality, which can only benefit everyone in the house. So that's one right. way red light therapy can be super beneficial. And then if someone were to also look at it, say, well, how else can it help? Just exposing, you know, your, your skin, your body, um, your environment to red light. The thing that really drew me first to it is how it basically helps with mitochondrial issues. So if, if, if you're, if your body and you're experiencing health in a suboptimal way, a lot of times, particularly our parents who may be listening, have heard that their child has mitochondrial issues, that there's labs that are indicating that that function is not what it could be. So as there's a whole number of different ways that you can help supercharge the mitochondria in your body, your child's body, red light therapy shows up a lot of times as one key way of doing that. So what's been your experience with people who have suffering from mitochondrial issues, which is kind of the energy cells of their body not functioning the way that they could. Um, that's got to be a big part of what you've seen in terms of customers who have had those issues and you have used red light to help. Yeah. So I think um, it's probably good to kind of um, at this point to differentiate. Um, so when we talk about like circadian biology, I really think that as um, eliminating the blue and green primarily in the evening and there's having very low, uh, amounts of red, so you don't, you know, bump into things and hurt yourself when you're walking around the house, um, uh, and uh, and also just making sure that that dim light onset melatonin production happens. But uh, as far as you know, the therapeutic application of red light, I mean, that's what my company does, and those are very high powered red lights. These are not something you would use for ambient lighting. Um, and so, just to kind of take a twenty thousand foot view, when we think about the electromagnetic spectrum as a whole. You've got um, X, uh, gamma rays, X-rays, and you've got ultraviolet light, which uh, folks are probably familiar with, UVC, UVB, UVA. UVB is important for making vitamin D in the skin uh, from the sun. And then you've got the visible spectrum, high school physics. You've got Roy G. Biv along the, in the direction we're going. It starts at violet, indigo, blue, green, uh, yellow, orange, red. And then... Um, and then you've got infrared, and then so you've got near-infrared, mid-infrared, far-infrared, then you've got microwaves and radio waves. So when we talk about red and near-infrared light therapy, and these are generally very high-powered LED devices like what we offer, uh, we're talking about a very narrow part of the spectrum, which is red light, which is typically around 600 nanometers, and nanometers is a billionth of a meter, uh, so it's a wavelength. 600 nanometers up to about, uh, depends, you know, anywhere from a thousand nanometers or so. And, and this is what's referred to as the optical window in biophysics. You can look it up on Wikipedia. It's the optical window. It's a very special and interesting part of the spectrum that I just kind of laid out. Uh, and it has very unique biological effects. So part of the reason why it's a window is that below 600 nanometers in the uh, in the visible light spectrum, where you've got the yellows and the, and the greens and the blues and the violets, um, the wavelengths are very short, and they don't penetrate that deep into the body. 
And, and what does get in there gets absorbed by uh, chromophore hemoglobin. Uh, and so, uh, and, but may, mostly those wavelengths are acting on the skin. And then when you get into red light, um, the absorption of hemoglobin and, melaton and melanin drops off and it, it's able to penetrate deeper into the body and act on the mitochondria. And then um, when you get above a thousand nanometers, that's where you get water absorption. So water is actually the most common chromophore in the human body. So that absorbs wavelengths of light, uh, you know, near, mid and far infrared wavelengths of light. And when those when water absorbs those wavelengths, it creates heat. And that's why, um, you know, all the saunas on the market, typically they're using far infrared as a way of essentially warming the body from the inside out. Those long far infrared wavelengths go into the body and they're, they're heating up the water inside the body. So below 600 nanometers, you get minimal penetration because it's shorter wavelengths and it's getting absorbed by hemoglobin and melanin. Above a thousand nanometers, you get penetration, but it's getting absorbed by water and turned into heat. And so between this narrow window between 600 nanometers and 1,000 nanometers of red and near-infrared light, you get the penetration into the body, and these wavelengths act on the mitochondria and essentially help the mitochondria make energy. So that's uh, kind of the 20,000-foot view uh, drilled all the way down into the optical window. Uh, but, but the primary mechanism, there's really two mechanisms for how red and near-infrared light therapy impact the body. One was what I just said, uh, the photons go into the mitochondria and literally um, help the mitochondria make ATP, which is um, energy. Yeah. And, and then there's also an element of hormesis, which is um, stress, but um, acute stress, like exercise, like a hormetic stress. The good and stress. It's a good stress, uh, you know, in, in the right doses. So, um, so you stress the cells because, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch in biological systems, right? So you're you are going in, you're creating uh, ATP, great, but there's free radicals created, there's, there's a stress to the cells as part of that process. But in the right doses, it's great because what it does is it causes this what's called retrograde signaling to the nucleus of the cell. And it's saying, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're stressed a little bit here. Why don't you upregulate your anti-inflammatory and antioxidant pathways? Mm -hmm. And so you get this downstream effect of increased melatonin production within the cell, and increased anti-inflammatory and uh, antioxidant signaling within the cell. Uh, again, if it's dosed correctly, again, so exercise is a great analogy um, because, you know, exercise is generally good, but depending on your, you know, your current fitness level and your training level and where you are and life as an individual, like the amount of exercise that's good for me might be quite different than, than you. Uh, and, and so, and, you know, I can maybe tolerate a certain amount of stress where you can tolerate a lot more because you're, you're much fitter. So, uh, and obviously you don't want to overdo it because then the, the damage that you cause becomes uh, problematic or the stress that you cause becomes pro problematic. So this idea of acute stress versus chronic stress, I think is very important. And that's why even when, with red and near-infrared light therapy, more isn't necessarily better. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's like everything else in life where it's all about that Goldilocks zone right. uh, to get to have something that truly is beneficial. And that zone may be different for everyone you know, depending on exactly where they are but from a light perspective you're you're focusing on this one band that that really seems to be the sweet spot in terms of promoting the positive change that you're you're trying to promote now the, the concept of photobiomodulation that is a long long term but i think that's what we're really talking about here right that you're 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 ultimately wanting to produce a positive effect within the body 
And is that is that the word that you would use to describe this whole process or? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's using light uh, to drive, you know, to drive some sort of biological effect. And primarily, it's really fascinating. And it does often sound too good to be true, because um, if you look at the research, I, mean, I have a database, 6,500 studies and counting of photobiomodulation. I mean, this goes back decades. They've been studying this. But the applications are so diverse that it sounds too good to be true. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, studying bone health, brain health. Uh, but if you think about it, any cell that has a mitochondria could potentially benefit, right? If we're if we're uh, helping the mitochondria create energy, and this is you know, and the mitochondria for those that are unaware, it's just a small organelle within. That's the cell that's responsible. It's the, basically the power plant of the cell. It's responsible for making energy. And so if we can support that process by supplementing with certain wavelengths of light, then that cell, in theory, can function better. And then and the group of cells are functioning better than they're going to do whatever it is that their job is better. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, honestly, the reason you're here, Scott, is because this is something that does get to the root cause in the sense that cell health, having your cells perform, you know, optimally or as they're, they, they're intended, if you can do that, then it's no surprise that the list of benefits from red light therapy is long. I mean, I, I could take 10 minutes listing all the ways that it can manifest in a positive way. And that's where this is not something that's like a tactical thing, although red light therapy can help. Like if you slam your elbow and it's throbbing, you could put it in front of red light and it's going to be, you're going to have some immediate benefit impact, beneficial impact. But otherwise, if you're using this modality and you're helping to improve cell health, that's really getting to a more of the root. So you're not, not hacking at the leaves. You're getting to the root of what might be behind the health issues that you're, you're looking to change. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I think so there, there, again, I tend, tend to bifurcate this discussion into kind of two main buckets. One of them is there is a ton of research on this. Uh, you know, like I said, 6,500 studies looking at all sorts of different applications. It was actually originally discovered in the 40s. I think it was a Hungarian scientist who was studying um, skin cancer in mice and gave the, the poor mice, you know, skin tumors and he shaved them and he was uh, irradiating the the tumors with a red laser and uh, it didn't, you know, it was a weak, it was a low power laser and it didn't do anything to the tumors, but the, but the mice that, that received the treatment, their hair grew back faster. And so this is, and so now there, there are a lot of mark uh, helmets and caps on the market that are, you know, for, that are red light LEDs or lasers uh, trying to help with hair growth. Uh, and, but there's actually legit science there. And, and that it was originally discovered for that. Uh, you know, just but it was supporting the follicles and they were growing their hair faster. So uh, so there's decades of research. So that's um, and with many, many different applications. Wound healing, skin health is is um, one of the primary applications, especially in the commercial space. But really, so that's one thing. If, if you want science, there's a lot of it there. We could do a deep dive on a lot of different studies. But really, the uh, the 20,000 foot view also, in my view, is that Again, um, thinking about how our ancestors live and how we live, we spend 93% of our time indoors. All right. So it's like roughly 87% of the average modern human, and at least in the Western world, we're inside, like I'm sitting inside my office right now. Or uh, I think 7% is, you know, we're driving, you know, we're inside a vehicle. Uh, but the bottom line is that we're not outside. 
And if we were outside, red and near infrared light, essentially, if the sun is out, that red and near infrared light is is reaching us. Uh, so all, all, historically, all day, our ancestors were bathing in red and near infrared light all day long. And now we're, we're blocking it. And so we are, in my view, severely deficient in these wavelengths of light, which we know are beneficial because we're just not spending time outside. And so in, from that perspective, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense to supplement. If you, and, I mean, I say try to get outside as much as you can, you know, and obviously, you know, you want to respect the sun and certainly in midday, it can be quite strong and you don't want to necessarily, you don't want to necessarily spend all day indoors all week and then go out to the beach for six hours, you know, like, uh, because you're not pre prepared for that uh, and you will burn and, and that you don't want to burn. Uh, but regular modest sun exposure, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, and to the extent that you can't, do that because your lifestyle and your your job, your employment, or your responsibilities dictate that you're indoors. Supplementing with a very safe red and near infrared light makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it truly does. And you're 100% right. I mean, that we used to be outside so much and we wouldn't need to do any supplementation because you, but our lifestyles now, so much of it is indoors. And it's just, it's very similar to vitamin D, right? Where everyone's walking around vitamin D deficient. And you See, pretty much have to supplement, especially in the winter months. And so that's that's uh, where I disagree. I, it, so they're vitamin D deficient. I say they're sunlight deficient because hmm. it's a proxy for your sun exposure. It's just telling you that you're not getting it's not telling you you need to take a pill necessarily. This is where I I, 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 I jump on my soapbox with this vitamin D stuff because uh, it's just telling you you're not getting enough sun at the right times of the year, at the right times of day. Right. Like yeah. and and. um and I actually, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent because I, I, in 2013, 2014, I tested my vitamin D. It was very low, 40, 40, I wasn't low, it was modest, but I live in Phoenix and I was outside all the time because I just moved here mm -hmm. and I tested at 45 and I took 5,000 IUs a day for three months. I tested at 45 and the naturopath was like, we'll take 10,000 IUs. Then I got into an argument with him about, you know, taking pills and, you know, and then I, I long story, I didn't go back for a while. And anyways, in 2021, I tested last year, March of 2021, and my I was at 82. Nice. And then and April, I thought it was a mistake. And in April, I tested, I was at 78. So I said, it's not a mistake. So I did a deep dive. And I do believe that preconditioning the skin with red light helps. It doesn't directly drive vitamin D synthesis, but because I don't take vitamin D pills. And so for me to be at 80 was mind-boggling to me. Like, I didn't think that was possible unless you you hyper- dosed with vitamin D supplements. Right. I was shocked. So I, I really went down uh, the rabbit hole and we just sent out a newsletter on this. I do think there's something to be said for preconditioning the skin in the morning with red light. And then I do think it makes the skin, this is speculation. I don't, there's some data to support this, that when you are out midday, when I do my 10, 15 minute walk every midday, that because I've primed my skin with both early morning sun exposure and red light, that I'm more efficient at making vitamin D. I don't really have any other explanation for how I can possibly be so high because I tested twice again this year and I'm still in high 70s. Um, so again, I'm honoring nature and I'm saying, okay, well, nature says in, in early morning, we're predominantly getting exposed to red and near infrared light. That's how nature works. And I really think that that's sending a signal like, hey, get ready. In a few hours, there's going to be a lot of UV raining down on you. Upregulate your antioxidant defense mechanisms, upregulate, uh, get, get prepared for that. And so that if you do that in the midday, 
you're not only protected, but you're just preconditioned to be more effective at, at utilizing that UV energy that rains down on you. Um, and there actually is good data on it, it being protective of the skin. Um, like if you, and so I think personally, every tanning salon in the country should have some sort of red light device in there. If you're going to go tanning, precondition with red light first, protect, you know, get that skin primed to receive the UV and, and at least be protected. No, that's, I, I, I love what you're saying, especially it's a perfect example of from, a, if you adopt a root cause approach, which I'm obsessed with going after the root cause, that's just some other way my brain thinks. And it's such a power move in terms of, again, just addressing the symptoms. But yeah, you you have a great point in that everyone is, and most people are, are definitely vitamin D deficient. And the question then is, okay, well, what's the root cause of it? What we know, it the root cause is not the fact that people aren't taking vitamin D supplements, right? That's not, <laughs> just, you know, just like, you know, any medication, you know, that's treating any condition, you know, the root cause is not the lack of that medication, right? Nobody has a statin deficiency, right? Right. There's something else at play. So to say, hey, the, the vitamin D levels uh, are not in the range that would be healthy. What's at the root of that? Clearly a big piece of that is our lack of exposure. So if you can't get outside and you, uh, to experience as much regular sunlight or exposure as you can, then to be able to use a, a, like a red light type device to be able to help your body in that way uh, could be a great way of getting to the true root of why ultimately you might have low vitamin D. And there's other factors at, at play as well. But the the taking that root cause, putting that hat on and taking that approach always leads to some more powerful thing you can do other than just the quick fix, the supplement or the you know, uh, in, in the case of our parents, the the thing that's just trying to modify behavior or improve things here and there to be able to get more to what might be the root is, is such a more powerful move. Yeah, I agree. And I just want to be perfectly clear. So red light doesn't in and of itself drive vitamin D synthesis. You need ultraviolet light, specifically yeah. UVB. And typically that's available midday between 10 and 2, depending on the time of year and latitude. I mean, some some places in the Northeast, you know, it's not going to be available at all. And so I'm not um, against supplementation where it's needed or, you know, where there's a severe deficiency. Generally, I'm just saying that like, I try to optimize things and I never, I never viewed taking vitamin D pills as optimal and, uh, and really trying to get to the root causes that I need to get more sun. I'm, thankfully, I do live in Phoenix, but even when I lived in Phoenix, I struggled with getting my levels up. Uh, but but in the past couple of years, it has not been an issue, and I really do think that the, my red light routine has something to do with it. Um, and there's some data to support it. But again, it's really just the idea is preconditioning the skin so that it's protected and ready for the UV. So if you can and and do plan on getting out in midday, I do like the idea of using red light beforehand. Yeah, um, yeah no, it makes a lot of sense. And, and when you talk about the skin, I mean, that red light therapy and this, it's nothing new, right? This has been around for quite a while, particularly in the anti-aging, you know, area where people were concerned with skin wrinkles and just overall, you know, trying to ward off uh, father time. Uh, this yep. has been something that's been around for a while. And I think the technology and the way, you know, the products that are available to help with this have only improved. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, that's the nice thing about relatively free markets and and capitalism. I mean, there can be there can be some good things that come of that. And uh, one of them is that you know we've seen the prices of these devices come way down, and that's originally how we started uh, with just trying to offer something that put out the right wavelengths at, at good power densities that was relatively inexpensive, so that you could try it. Um, and yes, I mean, it's the nice thing about and, and LED technology is super efficient. Uh, the LEDs last, quote unquote, forever, and um, and and they're super efficient. And it, it, they don't crush your electric bill, uh, and they don't create heat. I mean, that's part of the reason why they last so long. I mean, all of the electrical energy you feed into LEDs essentially turns into light. There's some heat generated, but we can, with the, you know, the designs of the heat sinks and the cooling fans. We really minimize the heat. And again, that's why the LEDs can last forever. And the nice thing is that this will continue. We'll, can, uh, the nice thing from a consumer perspective is this will continue. There will continue to be price pressure uh, as uh, the demand increases, the supply increases, more and more and more companies come on the space. And we should see hopefully lower and lower prices uh, and better products. Yeah, and that's another reason why I'm, I'm so excited you're on because – it's not that long ago, especially there, you know, if you wanted to get a quality um, red light panel or device, it, it can be a significant investment, you know, thousands of dollars. And so you have that, which was a reality. And then the opposite was also true. If somebody goes to Amazon and says, okay, I want some red light therapy, you can pick something up for 50 bucks, you know, or hundred right. bucks. But again, the quality and, and whether that's uh, something that, actually provides a therapeutic benefit or how effective it is is a question it's kind of like I, I i liken it to saunas where if you want a sauna whether it's a far infrared or a near infrared um which is you know, more my preference to get something that's something that actually has a therapeutic benefit and doesn't harm you know you, you have to invest something if you just buy something off amazon you know it may be a sauna a far infrared sauna but it might be treated with you know the, the wood may be treated in some way, maybe giving off right. chemicals, and you might be putting yourself in a box that's causing much more harm than any kind of benefit. Yeah, so an EMF find, too. I mean, finding a real, truly EMF sauna, EMF free sauna is a challenge. Yeah, you know, they'll advertise that it's EMF free, and maybe they're talking about the magnetic field, or maybe they're talking about the electric field, you know, and uh, so the details matter, right? <laughs> the details do matter. We did an entire podcast on that exact topic because, yeah, labeling, just because something's labeled a certain way um, does not necessarily mean it's true. And that was the case with the sauna I had. Um, but um, and I'll include in the show notes our discussion with Brian Richards on that exact topic. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so going back to red light. Yeah, you know, I, what I love about your company, what you're putting out there is you're putting out very high quality, but also very, you know, within the grasp and, and affordability perspective is something that, you know, uh, people we, who we coach, we have the honor to coach. A lot of times they're looking for options and it's fantastic for us to be able to provide something that is effective and doesn't necessarily, you know, require a significant investment, at least what some of the um, some of the other options were recently. Well, I appreciate that. Certainly, that's part of uh, just my mindset is to really give people, and it and it, it makes my hair grow grayer a little bit faster, is to try and uh, give people a lot more options so that when they come to us that and they're interested in red light, that they find what suits their needs the best, whether it's budget or functionality, size. Uh, and so we've got three different 
series of panels, uh, you know, good, better, best. And we've got other, we've come out with wraps, mobile devices. I'm working on a helmet actually for hair loss. So I've got a prototype here. Uh, so the idea is, you know, we want to be a full, have a full portfolio of high quality, exceptional value red light products. So that if you're interested in it and, and you're going to, because everybody's different, their use case is different. What they're hoping uh, it will do for them is different. We just want to be able to provide a, a solution. Um, but you know, managing uh, a large portfolio of products is challenging from a supply chain and inventory management perspective. So that's why I joke about my hair going grayer. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it really, again, it's part of just the overall perspective. And also, just I know what it was like as a consumer. Part of the reason I started this business is I bought one of those panels, and I think I paid eight hundred dollars for it. And then I went back to buy another one, and all of a sudden it was thirteen hundred. And I just couldn't do it. You know, I, I just paid eight hundred, you know, a year ago for the pretty much the same thing, and I didn't understand why the cost increase. And it just, and it's a lot of money. Uh, and so, and so we said, I, I, there's got to be a way to bring something to market that's less expensive. And that was really that was part of the genesis for the whole company. That's great. And yeah, that's uh, MitoRedLight.com. I'll include in the show notes uh, where people can go. And your website has a lot of great information that will go even deeper and explain more, you know, the, the mechanism, how this works, the research that's out there. And uh, so, yeah, so I really appreciate what you're putting out there. And it's funny, each of these discussions, we try to, hone, you know, really kind of zero in on one key secret or insight. And I think for this one, you know, the, the secret very well could be that these red lights accelerate progress. And what I mean by that is this is something that you can have within your bag, your, your toolbox of something that can have a very positive in, uh, impact for yourself and your child. And it really has an upside. And for some, it could be significant. And there's really no downside from having red light, a red light panel or having that be part of your daily routine. Now, I, I guess people aren't, shouldn't be staring directly into the red light, you know, so I think that's probably something to avoid, but otherwise there's no downside from this approach. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's relatively few contraindications. You know, we do caution with the eyes because the eyes are sensitive, obviously, to light. And sure. there's there's actually some data and some um, – the European version of the FDA just approved a red light device to be used in eye doctor's offices to treat certain eye conditions. can't remember the name of that device. Um, so, but uh, again, the, the dose is important. You know, with our lights, they're quite bright. Um, and so we generally recommend wearing the goggles. Um, you know, it, looking off center for a minute or something is probably kind of beneficial, but, you know, you just don't want to stare directly into for, you know, for 10, 10 minutes on a regular basis, that would probably not be the best idea. Um, so, you know, just using common sense and listening to your body too. Like if your eyes start to water and if it starts to hurt, like it's probably telling you something that maybe, you know, just like you wouldn't want to stare at the sun, um, for prolonged periods of time. Um, but generally, there's relatively a uh, few contraindications, um, you know, unless uh, outside of specific disease states. Uh, and then so we always recommend talking to to a physician. Um, but, you know, these wavelengths, they're very safe. And they're, again, they would naturally present from the sun all day long. Um, and and we're really using the safest parts of the spectrum. Again, there's there's very minimal water absorption. So there's very minimal heating in the body and the heat's, you know, one of the ways where you worry about damage uh, to the body is overheating things. Um, and so they are, they are quite safe. It's, it's hard to do it wrong, uh, but unless you just overuse it. And that's why we say, look for Goldilocks. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know, 10 minutes a day is usually pretty good. We're really hoping to, the new product we're launching, we're really hoping to gather some data and be more prescriptive about what really works for people. Uh, so we're excited. We're launching that in mid-November. And um, we're, we really think it's going to take the industry to the next level. Because right now, you buy a red light device and the company probably says, hey, stand in front of it for 10 minutes, you know, use both wavelengths. And um, there's, there's definitely a lot of opportunity to really understand more about what's actually working for people in terms of wavelengths, dosing, and application. Because uh, what works for sleep might not work for skin or might yeah. not work for muscle recovery. And so we're really trying to take things to the next level by offering a device that has multiple wavelengths that can be used in multiple combinations and that we're actually going to be gathering data on how users are using it and subjective feedback on what they're noticing and at least take things to the next level and hopefully be able to move the industry forward that way. Oh, that sounds very exciting. No, that's awesome. Good luck with that. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be uh, uh, watching uh, excitedly on on what you do roll out. That's going to be amazing. Um, and I, and I also appreciate what you were sharing that, Hey, this is, this is something again for your toolbox, but if you're working with a doctor or a practitioner, it's probably going to be a functional or an integrative one. Uh, Cause I don't think conventional doctors are necessarily tuned into this, but um, if you're doing that, yeah, definitely. This is something to bring up with them. And, um, and from a move that you can make today, yeah. If you can just get you and your child out more, you know, in actual sunlight, you know, there's no downside to doing that, obviously, you know, with, without going extreme, and then a red light device could be something that could be a fit to augment and to bring into home, you know, it's, it's again, something that can have that upside and, um, and again, with, with minimal downside. So we, again, I appreciate what you're doing, what you and your company are doing. You guys, uh, your heart's in the right place. So, uh, so just wishing you great success. And I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge uh, with our audience today. Thanks. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.